Coming up on the Rami La V podcast, episode 94, a recap of Thursday night football between the Chiefs and the LA Chargers. Patrick Mahomes is special. Justin Herbert is special. That was a really fun game. And those two defenses played a hell of a game as well. We'll get into it. Also, New Orleans has been a house of horrors for Brady. Will that continue on Sunday? Aaron Rodgers has owned Chicago. He even said so. Does that trend continue on Sunday? I'm going to tell you my picks for Sunday. And one player in the American League is doing something that hasn't been done since Babe Ruth. Is it Shohei Otani? No, it's actually Aaron Judge. I'll tell you all about that coming up next. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I often talk on this podcast about breaking the stigma surrounding mental health. So if you're feeling stressed, depressed, or just want to talk, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed, experienced therapist online, and you have access to over 20,000 different therapists that you may not have access to in your area. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire, and 48 hours later, you're set up with a therapist that fits your needs. You can then schedule video or phone calls and have access to unlimited messages back and forth with your experience experienced therapist. You can also change to a new therapist at any time with no extra charge. I often talk on this podcast about how perspective is anything, and that's something I learned in therapy. I had terrible anxiety, and I learned about how changing your perspective can change the reality. So take charge of your mental health and join the over 2 million people who already use BetterHelp for therapy online today. And if you use my code, you can get an extra 10% off on your first month. So go to betterhelp.com Rami for 10% off. That's B-E-T-T-E-R help h-e-l-p dot com slash rami for 10% off your first month do it today Welcome back to the Rami La Vie podcast. It is brought to you as always by BetterHelp. Go to betterhelp.com and use my first name, Rami, R-A-M-I, for 10% off your first month of online therapy. It is episode 94 and we just finished Thursday Night Football. I'm here in the studio at 1057 The Fan. We just post game um, and it was an exciting game. It was probably the most hyped football game we were going to have. They've been stacking them up the beginning of the season with the games, right? So this is the first thursday night football on amazon prime right because last week was the opening game and we get al michaels for the first time this year which you know i love with kirk herbstreet and we'll get into that in a minute and it's supposed to be the hype game right it's mahomes it's it's justin herbert who's been anointed as the next guy even though he hasn't even made the playoffs yet but he's been anointed as that guy um and the, the the chargers are supposed to take that big next step this year they upgraded the defense and we'll get into all that in a minute but essentially uh, i'm going to take you through my instant reactions to the game i'm sure as the week goes on we'll learn more especially uh, pertaining to Justin Herbert's injury and what's happening on that front because that is probably the biggest story coming out of this game it looked like at least bruised ribs if not broken ribs so uh, we'll definitely have to update you on that and everything going on there but as far as the game itself if you think back and I guess I should have talked about this on Wednesday but if you think back to the games last year there was the first game in Kansas City that actually the Chargers came back and won that game and then there was the game at the end of the year in LA Obviously, also on Thursday night football, it was December 16th. I remember that. That's my anniversary. So easy to remember. And that was the game where Patrick Mahomes, it goes to overtime. The Chiefs come back. The Chiefs win it overtime. That was a crazy game. And we thought we were going to get an offensive game like that. Heck, I told you on Wednesday, bet the over in this game. It was 53 and a half. I was like, that's nothing. Take the Chiefs and the over, minus three and a half and the over. We'll get to that a little bit later also. Um, and the real question for me coming into this game was we saw what the Chargers defense, what their front was able to do last week with Khalil Mack, with Joey Bosa. They were able to get pressure really easily last week on Derek Carr and Derek Carr looked like a wreck. 
The question against Mahomes is, can you get pressure with four? You know that if you blitz Patrick Mahomes, he's going to beat you every single time. Can you get pressure with four? The only way to beat Patrick Mahomes is to get pressure. So you're kind of stuck. You can't blitz him, but the only way to beat him is to get pressure on him. So how do you beat him? By getting pressure with four. Obviously, the best we saw that was San Francisco in the first three quarters of the Super Bowl, in the Super Bowl that uh, Patrick Mahomes won, and then Tampa Bay in the Super Bowl the following year when, obviously, the Chiefs' offensive line was a shell of themselves. It was a wreck. And now they, they revamp the offensive line. They bring in a bunch of people. supposed to be better, right? They, they sure up some of those spots there. They're relying more on the running game with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And the question is, can you get pressure with four? And right away, you saw that that was going to be the battle because the Chiefs, Early on, they're, they're handing it off to CEH. They're throwing short passes to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. A lot of gimmicks, a lot of gimmicky type plays. You saw a lot of stuff like that from the Chiefs. Before you blink, though, it's 10 nothing. It's 10 nothing for the Chargers. And all of a sudden, you're looking at this and you're like, wait, so the Chiefs kind of feel like they did what they were supposed to do, but then the Chargers did blitz and they got to Mahomes and attacked him immediately. But then the next time, the second time they blitz, Pacheco picks it up. Mahomes has an open shot downfield. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wait, this is why we don't blitz against Patrick Mahomes. And then before you know it, he's dancing around. And that play is exactly why you cannot put Patrick Mahomes in the same conversation as any other quarterback in the NFL. People were saying, I'd rather Herbert over Mahomes. I know it was a hot take. It wasn't like a real take. But people did say that in the offseason. And you can't say that. Mahomes is by far better than anyone else in the league. And he proved it on that one play. You blitz him, you get pressure up the middle, he runs as if he's going to start to scramble. No, I pump fake, then he's running again. Oh, he's scrambling again. Then it's like, oh wait, no, it's going to be a sack again. Eludes the sack, and then dumps it off. Sidearm throws it between three guys, somehow slips it in. Touchdown Chiefs. And it's not only that he sidearm throws it like that, he throws it at about 100 miles an hour. It had to be perfect to be slipped in into the end zone to McKinnon, and it was perfect. Every single thing about it was perfect, and that's why Patrick Mahomes is head and shoulders above any quarterback in the league and it's plays like that it's not that every single time he's going to have a Sunday like we saw last week or I guess yeah last Sunday where he throws five touchdowns he's thrown six or seven he's dominating it's that even against a great defensive game plan we'll get to that in a minute because I think the Chargers honestly had as good a defensive game plan as we're going to see against Patrick Mahomes even against that Patrick Mahomes is able to escape and to make plays with his feet and extend plays his moving around in the pocket is more impressive his moving in order to throw is more impressive than his scrambling to run I don't think he scrambled to run that many times in this game he is scrambling so that he could get open passes and open up and hit what his ride receivers and what they must practice every single week in practice is scramble routes where when the play breaks down and Mahomes is buying time back there in the pocket, they're running around and they're like, hey, we need to get to Mahomes. We need to get open. It was a great job by McKinnon to do that. He's a guy who's been there a little bit longer. Obviously, it's a revamped wide receiver core for the Chiefs, but you talk about Kelsey, you talk about McKinnon, even Clyde Edwards-Alaire in his third year with Patrick Mahomes. Those are the guys who know Mahomes, who know what he likes to do. And in those scramble plays, that is when Mahomes is at his best. And that what's that's what puts him head and shoulders above, not just the simple pocket passing, which we know he's really good at. He proved it last week, but it's the other stuff that puts him head and shoulders above everyone else in the league. And another takeaway, because if we, we move over and talk about the Chargers, the Chargers seem to treat every single play, or at least Brendan Staley does, like he's coaching in the NFL the way I would play Madden. Like, I don't even know why they employ a punter. Like, I uh, would, if I was the Chargers punter, I would love that. Like, I get to sit sideline at NFL games week in, week out. I probably grab a beer, 
grab some wings, watch football right in front of me. I get to watch the Chargers, get to watch Justin Herbert, one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and I know I'm never going to get in the game because every time it's fourth down, it seems like they're going for it. And that is just one of the funnier things that I see in the NFL right now is Brandon Staley treating this like it is absolutely a video game, and yet it works. It feels like they're almost better on fourth down. We'll get to that a little bit later with what happened later in the game, obviously, once uh, Justin Herbert was hurt because that was wild. There was something interesting that I noticed also, and this was on the uh, free play prior to the first touchdown for the Chiefs, and just want to go back to this. Joey Bosa jumped off, jumped off sides, and that's what gave them the free play. I don't understand how, if you're Joey Boa, you jump off side, Joey Bosa, you jump off sides, and then you stop playing. Like, he got scared, he tried to jump back, and then he just stopped rushing. Like, you got to go get the quarterback now, make sure he doesn't, you know how good Mahomes is with the free play. He's like, almost like Aaron Rodgers with the free play. So how are you standing back there still? So that was weird um, watching that play develop also. But other than that, that was maybe the only mistake the Chargers defense made in the entire game. The Chargers defense was so impressive in the first half. And yet what we say this time and time again, they were so good in the first half. And yet going into the break, they're only up three They're right. And so you're like, wait, this score should be different. They should be up by more than three points. And that's when you start to realize, oh, that's not very good for the Chargers. If they're only up 10-7 going into the break when their defense played this well, and you have still two quarters left for Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid to come up with a game plan to figure it out, that's got to be concerning for the Chargers. And it most certainly was in the second half. But I thought their defense was just as good. And by the way, an interesting stat from the first half, Patrick Mahomes is the first time that in a Patrick Mahomes start, the Chiefs punted four times in a half. And the fact that they punted four times in that first half tells you just how good the Chargers defense really was. And it wasn't just blitzing. We saw that in the second half where they were using, they were disguising the coverages to make it look like they were going to blitz and then dropping back into coverage. And when they did that, that's when Patrick Mahomes threw those couple of passes that should have been intercepted. But the problem when you're playing against a guy like Patrick Mahomes, when you give him opportunities, when you're only up three at the half, when you drop a couple of interceptions, eventually he's going to take advantage. And that's exactly what happened every single time. They made mistakes. The Chiefs took advantage, and the Chargers did not. The punter, you could tell, I just said he was probably sitting and eating wings and drinking beer on the sideline. Well, he had one of the worst punts, right? He punted at, what, 30 yards? So it shows that he's out of practice because he doesn't punt a lot. You drop the interceptions. Patrick Mahomes take advantage. You drive down the field. You score the touchdowns there. And by the way, a couple of players who were huge in this game, Jalen Watson, who had the pick six, obviously, for the Chiefs at the end of this game, which game-changing play right there that obviously changed the game as they were driving down the field the Chargers I thought oh here we go again they're going to drive down the field they're going to score a touchdown and then the Chiefs are going to have to come back the other way I thought we were getting a repeat of last year's Thursday night game on December 16th and no instead all of a sudden we're looking at something totally different we're looking at the Chiefs running it back and scoring a touchdown getting that big pick six which was ultimately the difference in this game and If you think about it, that's a seventh-round pick who was a rookie, and Isaiah Pacheco, who made some huge blocks and also had some big plays early in the game out of the backfield, another seventh-round rookie. And if you think about the difference between the great teams and the bad teams such as my Jets, getting those guys late in drafts is huge. Speaking of Pacheco and being a seventh-round pick, I had a story, and I'm just going to tell this quickly. In my fantasy draft, I know I don't like to talk about my fantasy football, but my auction league, I wanted to take J.D. McKissick. Now, I thought he got drafted the pick before me, because I had unclicked him accidentally in my queue. I accidentally took him out of my queue. Really, he was still available. And I was like, wait, I need another running back. Pacheco's available. I've not really heard of this guy, but I heard he had a good camp for the Chiefs. I'm going to bid on him. I end up bidding $4 for Pacheco, getting him for 4 bucks, And then the next guy gets McKissick, who I wanted for a dollar. And I was like, oh, my God. 
Now I'm stuck with this guy for four bucks. So he's sitting on my bench. Look, if he could block like that, if he can make plays out of the backfield, they're good. it's going to keep him on the field. So hopefully he could keep playing. But that's besides the point. By the way, another thing besides for the Chargers D, which, like I said, the Chargers defense, and this is what the game comes down to. They deserve all the credit in the world. But at the same time, you have to take advantage of the opportunities you're given. The Chiefs did. The Chargers did not. That's what the game comes down to. And the difference between Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert is literally that throw, that interception, that one bad play that Herbert forced it in there. And a lot of people are going to be talking about how you're throwing it from the two-yard line on first and goal. I get that. Maybe not the best call. Yeah, but that's the part. That's the type of thing that you feel like you're forced to do that against a guy like Patrick Mahomes. And that's the difference between those two quarterbacks. Yes, Justin Herbert is great, and he proved it later in this game. And we'll talk about that in a minute. First of all, if you're going to have Kirk Herbstreet and Mike Tirico, they should just do the game together. Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels need to be back together. That's my take. But I think uh, I'm not the one who's going to be going to, I guess, Amazon. And who's the other one? Uh, the Fox headquarters and telling them to do that. But uh, just my takeover is NBC, right? Because Collinsworth and Tirico are on NBC. And But Kirk was fine and, and Al's fine. But Al and Chris together is nothing like it. Back to the actual game. Um, when Herbert goes down... His ability to dance around in the pocket and stay in the pocket, first of all, on that throw to take that hit was insane. But then he goes down, and you're like, uh-oh, this can't be good. And he's holding his ribs. He comes out of the game. Like I said, I don't know if that's a punctured lung. I don't know if that's broken ribs. I don't know if he just got the wind knocked out of him. I'm not sure what happened, but he comes back in the game. And on that third down and one, it's like he could just walk to a first down and slide. And everyone was talking about this. And if he couldn't do that, then why is he at the game? He should just be out of the game. And then on the next, very next play, it looked like he could barely throw it. It hurt him to kind of dump off that pass. He wasn't willing to run the four yards and slide. And on the very next play, he's throwing a bomb, maybe the best throw of the night. I'd argue to say it was the best throw of the night, that it never got like more than 10 feet off the ground, that that dart down the field to get them to first and goal. That was insanity. That play was such a good throw by Justin Herbert. He gutted it out. He showed you how special he is as a quarterback. He showed you how mentally tough he is. He couldn't even do it physically. And even with the lack of ability to do it physically, he was able to come through and make a play in that spot. That was insane on the part of Justin Herbert. So kudos to him. Honestly, all the credit in the world to him. Still, they get the loss, obviously. They, they score the touchdown there. They can't recover the onside kick, and that was what I was talking about before. It's almost like they're better on fourth down. Maybe when he was running and he could have ran for the first down and slid, he could he was just thinking, you know what? I'm not going to do that because we're better on fourth down. I'll stop the clock. We'll pick up the fourth down anyway. It's almost like they're better on it anyway. It's kind of funny. Uh, but Justin Herbert, that was a gutsy performance, and we wait to hear. I hope he's okay because he really is one of the special players in the league, and I, I don't want to come off as standing anti-Justin Herbert just because I'm so pro-Mahomes. That's the thing. Mahomes is that special. Herbert, all the credit to him in the world. But like I said, it's Mahomes 50 feet of crap and everyone else. So back to my bet, though, because this was funny. Um, I said it was going to be a high-scoring game, and like I said, before that pick six, I thought Chargers were scoring again, and we were going to have a repeat of last year. I said the Chiefs were going to win, but ultimately, the Chargers cover on that late touchdown, and it ends up being Chiefs only win by three, and there were only four, 51 points game scored in the game total, so it didn't get to the 53.5. So the under hit, and KC didn't cover the line, and my story was... About five minutes before the game, I was trying to get someone to place the bet for me because I'm in Maryland, which sucks. Uh, there's no legal gambling, mobile gambling in Maryland yet. It was supposed to be legalized last September. It's not. I was going to be in Virginia maybe today, and that didn't work out. I didn't end up going, so I couldn't place the bet. 
I would have placed the bet and I would have lost money on this game by three points and a half a point. So I'm really happy that I did not place the bet, but it's kind of funny how that works out. Uh, and if you did take my advice and you took uh, that I gave you on Wednesday and you took the Chiefs minus three and a half and the under or the over 53 and a half, sorry, you don't win them all. By the way, just to wrap a bow on week one, um, Joe Buck, that call that he had, and I don't know how I didn't mention this on the podcast, but the call he had where he just laid out and let the crowd tell the story and that is the best thing you could do as a broadcaster. Um, I heard someone say that sometimes the 10 things you don't say make the one thing you do say all the more special. And so when you lay out and let the crowd tell the story as a play-by-play broadcaster on a TV game, right? They, everyone's seeing the play happen. Everyone's seeing the crowd. You let them tell the story. That's as good as a thing you could do as a broadcaster. And I posted it on my Instagram. I also posted it. We have a new Instagram, a new TikTok. So check us out on Instagram and TikTok. And shout out Dave Levenger for hooking it up with all this. At Rami underscore Lavi, R-A-M-I-L-A-V-I, my first and last name, podcast. So Rami underscore Lavi podcast, Instagram, TikTok, check it out. A uh, lot of stuff there. A lot of content going to be pumped out there. Hopefully for every episode, we're going to have a lot of stuff coming your way. So check that out. And what's up there now is my tweet in the moment that I said it about Joe Buck. And then also uh, the video of Joe Buck just laying out, letting the crowd tell the story in Seattle uh, for that first play of the first drive of Russell Wilson back in Seattle. Another thing from that game, just to put a bow on it, just to wrap it up. Jamal Adams is going to have season-ending injury, uh, season-ending surgery. You never root for an injury. It sucks. Uh, I'm not happy about it. I want that to be a thousand percent clear. I am not happy that he's having season-ending surgery. What I will say, though, is Joe Douglas, I think we can officially lock it in. He won that trade. And uh, for some of the stuff he has done, some of the stuff he hasn't done, um, that trade was one of the best things he's done as the general manager of the New York Jets. All right, so we're going to get to our picks. We're going to pick all the games for Sunday. Uh, Lots of stuff coming up. I did hear someone say, and they cannot be more wrong about this. I heard someone say last night, I was listening to the radio overnight here at CBS Sports Network uh, in Baltimore. I was listening to the host. She goes, can you believe it's already week two in the NFL? We're already getting ready for week two in the NFL. Week one is over. No, no, no. It's too early to be doing that. That's what we do at like week 17 every year. Where it's like, it's already week 17. Oh my God. We can't be doing that in week two. It's already week two. Are you kidding me? The two days that we went without having football, after having football Thursday night, after having football Sunday and Monday night, Tuesday and Wednesday night, where the Yankees played in Boston those two games, it felt like I was missing something. There was a void. Like I felt like I hadn't seen football in years, and I was so pumped up to watch football again tonight. So don't give me that, oh, can you believe it's already week two? Yes, I can believe it's already week two. It's week two. It's it's nothing yet. But I'm going to pick the games, and we start with the Sunday at 1 o'clock games. I'm going to start with my New York Jets. The New York Jets are going to Cleveland to face the Browns. The Browns, the last time they started 2-0 was in 1993, and they have a chance to be 2-0, and they are favored by by 6.5 points. The Browns are. And what's interesting about the Jets is, and I talked about this with Joe Douglas earlier with the Jamal Adams trade, he's accumulated so much talent on this team. The Jets that we saw, they're as talented a roster as I've seen from a Jets roster in years. And that makes it all the more frustrating because when you look at the Jets and you're like, wait, this ta- this team is actually really talented. This roster can actually really put it together. And yet they still got killed. So do they just stink? Or is it that actually this roster has some talent, but it's not built for Joe Flacco and Joe Flacco is the one that's holding them back. So I'm not sure which one it is. And like I said, is it the coaching staff? That could be part of it also. 
We know Robert Sala, he had to walk back his comments that he said about taking receipts or whatever. He's like, I was emotional, blah, blah, blah. And he ultimately did walk back those comments, and I'm glad he did. But he can't come back at us and be like, oh, see, I told you so. Winning one game doesn't get rid of the stink. Now, the Browns, also a funny thing they did. They tweeted 1-0, and they wrote it's their first 1-0 tweet in their history because the last time they had started a season 1-0, Twitter did not exist. So not only are they trying to start 1-0, meaning the last time they started 1-0, Twitter didn't exist. Last time they started 2-0 was in 1993, like I mentioned earlier. The fact that the Jets are minus or plus 6.5 in this game is absurd. It tells you they have zero respect for the Jets. And you think Joe Flacco is going to be running away all day. But if you look inside the numbers, the Jets were not that bad at protecting Flacco. It was that he was creating a worse situation for himself by not being able to step up in the pocket, by not getting rid of the ball quickly, by being indecisive with certain throws. And that could be the bigger issue. So this could be less on the offensive line, less on the skill position players, and more on Flacco. I'm curious to see what Matt LaFleur, Mike LaFleur, I should say, is going to come up with to help protect Joe Flacco and help him get the ball out quicker because... The Jets need to win this game or need to find a way to at least cover. I think they are going to cover. I trust in the dysfunctionality of the Cleveland Browns organization, if that's a word. Um, let's just say it is for now. I trust that the Browns are dysfunctional enough that they will find a way to ruin this game. I trust that the Jets may be pleased. I'm kind of just hoping at this point that the Jets will find a way to win this game or at least cover the six and a half. And at the end of the day, look, the Browns have something interesting where they're playing Thursday night against the Steelers. That is a huge game for the Browns, right? Division rivalry, TJ Watt, all that stuff. If Watt is healthy, of course, all that stuff coming up, they're going to be fired up for that game. Maybe this is one of those trap games where they're looking ahead to the following game and there's like, yeah, we're playing a bad team against the Jets at home season opener. And maybe the Jets can take advantage of that. But the key is going to be Flacco cannot kill this team. Flacco has to at least not hurt them. Meaning, I don't expect Flacco to go out there and win the game for us. I don't expect Flacco to go out there and be the guy and be the reason why we win this game. But he can't be the reason why we lose it. And it feels like Sunday, he was the reason why the Jets lost. And so if the Jets are going to at least cover the six and a half, and I don't know why I do this. I don't know why I bet on the Jets because every time they disappoint me, I'm upset that they lost and I'm upset that I lost my bet. Of course, I would never actually bet this game. I really wouldn't because I don't trust the Jets. But if I were to pick this game, I'm going to go with my heart and my emotions. I don't know why I still do this. I loved what I saw from the roster. I watched the All-22 back. I watched the the coaches' film, and I saw what uh, Sauce Gardner and the other corners and safeties were doing in this game. I bought myself a Sauce jersey. I was like, that guy, is he's real. He's legit. And that's how awesome it was when I saw Sauce Gardner, and yet the talent on this team tells me they're too good to lose the game the way they lost to, to Lamar Jackson. I told you there were only two breakdowns on the defense on Sunday that the Jets had and both times Lamar took advantage because he's that good of a quarterback so if they can find a way to just play a little bit better against the Browns I really think there's a good chance that they could beat the Browns in this game I really hope they do but just cover the six and a half it's a huge spread like I said Browns haven't been 2-0 in years in 30 years and yet still they're favored by six and a half just goes to show you tell you I guess how uh, disrespected the Jets are but I really think maybe Carolina is that bad and that's why the Browns beat them maybe the Jets can figure something out with the, all the skill position players they have and the defense that they have that they could figure out a way somehow to beat the Cleveland Browns or at least cover the six and a half like I said I'm going with my heart the next game is Washington at Detroit and Detroit is favored by two and a half. And like I told you, I don't think the last game told me anything about Washington. While Detroit's 0-1, they kind of 
showed some respect, some self-respect to the end of the game, showed you that they could put up points against Philadelphia. So I'm going to take Detroit minus two and a half. I think Detroit's not bad. They're at home. That's basically trying to tell you that Washington is favored by a half a point because usually you get three points-ish for being at home. So Detroit minus two and a half. I'm going to take them. I think they could win by a field goal. And I don't think Washington's very good. I'm never going to bet and take uh, Carson Wentz. I think that game is a real wild card. But still, I'm going to take Detroit. The next game, and this is one of the marquee matchups, is Tampa Bay at New Orleans. Now, we know the story with Tampa Bay at New Orleans and specifically Tom Brady. I can't fathom taking New Orleans. I think... Well, first of all, Tampa Bay is favored by minus two and a half. So I'm going to take Tampa Bay. But that said, I'm terrified to take Tampa Bay. Tom Brady, in the last two years, in his career as a Buccaneer, in New Orleans or against New Orleans, he's 0-4. He's thrown six touchdowns, and one of them, four of them, came in one game. So he's really, he threw four touchdowns in one game, and then two touchdowns across the other three. And he's thrown eight interceptions against the New Orleans Saints. Tom Brady has struggled tremendously. It's obviously the story. Now, Sean Payton isn't there anymore. We'll see if they could come up with the same scheme. Obviously, Jameis Winston is there. I think that helps the New Orleans Saints. But we always know what the house of horrors, quote unquote, was for Brady when he was in New England. It was Miami. For some reason, he struggled going to Miami. Since he's been a buck, he's been incredible against the rest of the league. In fact, he's thrown 77 touchdowns and only 16 interceptions in the last two years against everyone not named the New Orleans Saints. But against the Saints, like I said, 0-4, six touchdowns, eight picks. That's a terrible situation for Brady. It's been that house of horrors, but I think this week he'll overcome it. They're minus two and a half. I think Brady's on a mission. I think, weirdly, he's more locked in than ever because he's so focused. He wants to prove to people that he came back for a reason I think Tom Brady is going to go even though they weren't great that defense was they weren't great they weren't converting they were kicking a lot of field goals against Dallas I think in week two they work on some of that stuff they turn those field goals into touchdowns and I think they go into New Orleans and beat the Saints by more than three I don't feel confident about the pick like I said because of uh, Brady's record in New Orleans or against New Orleans since becoming a buck but I got to go with my gut and that's why I'm taking Tom Brady and the Bucks. The Carolina Panthers are at the New York Giants, and I just told you I don't think the Panthers are that good, and I told you I think the Giants actually could be a surprise playoff team. Another video up on my TikTok about that, that maybe they could surprise you, and I know that's week one overreaction. I'm not going to say that the Giants are for sure making the playoffs. I'm not even saying that they're going to be 4-0. I said they just have a chance, um, but if you look at their what they've done in week one, it was pretty impressive, um, and so they are minus 2.5 at home in their home opener against Carolina. I'm going to take Carolina. Maybe the Giants win by one point again, but I thought the Giants actually played really poorly in this game. If you think about it, if they don't get the extra point, if they don't convert the fourth down, if they don't miss the field goal, Tennessee doesn't miss the field goal. So many things had to go perfectly right for the Giants to win that game. I don't know if they could repeat a perfect performance again. I know Carolina is not a great team, but I think Baker Mayfield does feel a little bit mad now. Maybe they get a way to involve Christian McCaffrey a little bit more. Maybe his shin is feeling a little bit better. I don't know. But if they could find a way to involve him a little bit more and Baker plays a little bit better, they're still able to put up points against uh, against Cleveland. And Cleveland's a really good defense. I think a much better defense than the Giants defense. I do think Carolina should be able to, be, uh, to put up points. And I think they are going to beat the Giants and spoil the home opener for the New York Giants in MetLife Stadium. Uh, so I'm going to take Carolina plus two and a half against the Giants. New England is at Pittsburgh and New England is favored. With no TJ Watt, I don't really want to take... Pittsburgh. So despite New England being favored by only a point and a half, I'm going to take uh, New England. I don't love it, but we always trust Bill Belichick. 
And maybe they figured something out with that. And so with TJ Watt being out, I thought that was their biggest advantage in week one by far was TJ Watt. And we know what we talked about last week where they had so many opportunities in week one. They had five turnovers from from Joe Burrow. That never happens where you get five turnovers in one game from Joe Burrow. And they still couldn't take advantage. Yeah, they won, but it took them to overtime and a bunch of missed kicks to win. So just like I said about Cincinnati, feel good for them. But if you are the Pittsburgh Steelers, you have to feel like we had all these opportunities and we still barely won. That tells me this team isn't really good. And without TJ Watt, I think Bill Belichick and Mac Jones will get it right in week two and they will beat Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. Next, I have Indianapolis at Jacksonville, and Jacksonville is plus four and a half. Indianapolis is favored by minus four and a half in this game. And if you think about it, all their points they scored were Matty Ice down two scores. That's when he comes alive. That's when he starts to score points. That's when he puts up points. I thought Jacksonville was not as bad as the final score. They lost by six. That was one of those games where at the end of the game, you're like, wait, they lost by six? I thought they lost by two. Like, it felt closer than that, and somehow they lost by six to Washington. Not a great game. I know that. I know the videos going around of Trevor Lawrence. He's the least inspiring guy to ever play football, where you look at him and he's like, all right, guys, let's be good today and let's uh, let's show them what we came to do. And maybe he's not a great quarterback. Maybe he just doesn't have that it factor. Maybe he has all the talent in the world, but he's not the leader of men like people talk about. I don't know, but I still want to take the Jacksonville Jaguars plus th- four and a half. At least keep it to a field goal game, something like that. If they don't beat Indianapolis, I really don't think Indianapolis is as good as people think. And Frank Reich, I think he's a great dude, great head coach. He might be on the hot seat sooner rather than later. Miami is at Baltimore, and this is great for me because as a producer here at 105.7 The Fan in Baltimore, if you haven't heard, um, I get to cut up the press conferences of one Mike McDaniel, and he is a fascinating person to listen to. I think he's my new favorite head coach in the league. I've talked about that before. Baltimore's favorite minus three and a half. Like I said, I think Lamar is showing that he's taking that next step. I think he wants to win MVP. I think he wants to prove a point. They're going to be at home. It's their home opener. I'm going to take Baltimore minus three and a half. Like I said, Miami had a really nice showing, but I still think their offense wasn't great last week. I think the Ravens could take advantage of some of the mistakes that they make on defense as well, and I think the Ravens are going to roll over the Miami Dolphins and win big minus three and a half. I say they win by at least a touchdown to four o'clock on Sunday. We go 4 p.m. And the first game is Atlanta at the L.A. Rams. And it's a weird game. If you were Vegas making the line for this game, you got to wonder like, okay, how much of that game last week on Thursday night, the first game of the season was a fluke for the Rams. They've had 13 days since then, or I guess 10 days since then to prepare for Sunday. And now you got to be ready. They are favored by minus 10 and a half against Atlanta but like I said I don't think Atlanta is as bad as people think they didn't use Kyle Pitts at all last week and they still found a way to score points I think they will try and involve Kyle Pitts this week I hope they'll try and involve involve Kyle Pitts this week Cordero Patterson is actually a pretty good running back I think using him out of the backfield so LA I still think they have some issues to work out so I'm going to take Atlanta plus 10 and a half I do think LA wins by about a touchdown I just don't love a huge number like that. I always say that I'm scared. I'm terrified of those huge numbers. Generally, my rule is don't take an underdog unless they can win that game. But plus 10.5 feels like a ton of points. And I feel like Atlanta can hopefully keep it close enough to keep it within 11 points. Also on Sunday at 4 o'clock, we have Seattle going to San Francisco. And San Francisco is getting a ton of respect after they lost the game in Chicago. And a lot of people are basically saying what I said. It's one game. Trey Lance in terrible weather. It was a wacky game. It was a sloppy game. We don't expect that to happen again. They're home. And if you look at Seattle in the second half of that game, they got really lucky against Denver. They were gifted a couple of turnovers. Geno Smith played terribly. We know he had a couple of great drives, but they're not going to have the Seattle 
crowd behind them. They're not going to have the momentum behind them. They're not going to have that pin your ears back and be all excited that, hey, we we need to beat Russell Wilson. We need to stick it to him. I honestly think for the rest of the season that Seattle could go 0-16 the rest of the way. After that emotional win in week one, they lose Jamal Adams, obviously. I really think the way they played in the second half of that football game, there's a chance that they don't win another game this entire season. San Francisco is favored by minus eight and a half. I trust Trey Lance. I hope I hope that video was fake of him at the strip club the other night. I don't know. But I hope that I trust Trey Lance and that they will go out there and win by at least a touchdown or two, maybe 10 points or two touchdowns against Seattle. I'm taking San Francisco minus eight and a half. Cincinnati is at Dallas and Cincinnati is minus seven and a half and minus seven and a half points on the road may feel like a lot, but they're playing against Cooper Rush. A lot of people are very nervous with how CD Lamb looked. A lot of people are very nervous with how Tony Pollard and Zeke Elliott looked. The defense other than Micah Parsons hasn't looked great. And you know what? Joe Burrow, he's mad. He lost the game. He threw five or four interceptions, had a fifth turnover with the fumble. That's not a very Joe Burrow-like game. Joe Burrow will come alive, and he's going to beat Dallas by more than a touchdown. I'm taking Cincinnati minus seven and a half. 425 on Sunday. So the late afternoon games, Houston at Denver, and Houston is plus nine and a half in this game. And I don't know what Denver showed you in this game to make you think that they should be nine and a half point favorites in any game against anyone. I told you, I like what Houston does. They tied the game last week. They covered the spread last week. Davis Mills is not as bad as people think. If they didn't mess up the end of that game, they probably could have won that game pretty easily too. While Denver might win this game and they can't look as bad as they looked last week, they might not have three turnovers in the red zone like they did last week. They might not decide to kick a field goal from 64 yard out and their head coach after the game said, yeah, I probably wouldn't do that again if I had to do it over. Maybe they do open it up a little bit more with Russell Wilson. But the amount of time the wide receivers were wide open with Sutton and Judy and Russ was dumping it off to his running backs or his tight ends did concern me. I don't love their defense. The way they allowed uh, the Seahawks offense the first couple of drives is just go down the field and score. I think ten, nine and a half is a huge point total. I'm going to take Houston. I don't think Houston wins the game, but I think they cover the nine and a half and they could possibly win. That does fall into the rule, the category of if you take the underdog, you have to think they can win the game. I do think Houston can win the game. Arizona is going to be at Las Vegas, and this is so interesting because Las Vegas was totally disrespected last week. They lose the game. They looked awful in that game against the Chargers, and yet they're being favored by minus five and a half. And what that tells me is Vegas, the the gamblers or the whoever makes the sports book, were really moved by how bad Arizona looked. And I told you they're in my hot garbage tier of my tiers of NFL teams. And if you didn't hear my overreaction tiers to NFL teams after week one, go back and listen but they were one of if not the worst team outside of the Jets in week one of the NFL season I know it was against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs but they looked as bad as any other team in the league so Vegas minus five and a half I think that's a huge number for the Raiders but I think they're going to cover it and win by about a touchdown against Arizona and that leaves us to Sunday night football and it's the oldest rivalry in football which is so stupid because why like again enough of this Chicago at Green Bay. We've seen it a thousand times. Aaron Rodgers all time in his career against the Chicago Bears is 22 and five. He kills the Bears. It's what he does for a living better than anything else since he's come into this league other than maybe getting free plays, drawing defenses offside, catching defenses with 12 men on the field. What he does better than any of those things is beat the Chicago Bears 22 and five in all time. And in his last six games, meaning the last three years since 2019, 2020 and 2021 against the Bears, he's six and oh, that's six consecutive wins. And he's thrown 16 touchdowns and not a single pick zero interceptions I think that continues also Rodgers 
since he's been with LaFleur in the regular season, coming off a loss, especially the bad loss they have on su- they had on Sunday. We know they had a terrible loss to start off the year last year. Rodgers is 9-0 and coming off a loss since Matt LaFleur took over as the head coach for the Green Bay Packers in the regular season. I think he's going to blow out the Chicago Bears on national TV, on at home, uh, to start the season on Sunday Night Football, their first home game of the season. I think... Packers minus nine and a half. I'm taking all of it and I love it. I'm taking Rodgers. I'm going for the Packers. Let's go Packers. Rodgers, you know how I feel about him. That's one of the first things that I established on this podcast when I started the podcast nearly two years ago. One of the first things I established was how much I love Aaron Rodgers and that hasn't changed. All right, so that is all the games. I'm going to pick the Monday night games on Monday night this time, or I guess I should say on Sunday night this time, which I did not do last time. I messed up on that. But I'm going to make it up. I'm going to. There are two Monday night games. They're good games. And we will get to them on Sunday night after Sunday night because I'm going to be recording again on Sunday night for that podcast to post early Monday morning. I want to talk about a couple other things I'm going to hit on and then I'm going to get out of here. So not the longest podcast I've done. uh, But like I said, it's just supposed to be instant reaction and pick the game. So that's going to be generally what these Thursday night podcasts are. Um, And, you know, picks and, and instant reaction are definitely a fun show. And then I got got to get back to work. There's a lot of work to do here at the studio, cutting up highlights from that game, reliving some of the best moments and listening to Kevin Harlan's broadcast of them should be fun. I want to talk about the Yankees for a second because they win the two games in Boston. It feels like there's a little bit of breathing room. And there is something that somebody pointed out. I saw a stat that everyone's talking about how Shohei Otani is doing something that hasn't been done since Babe Ruth. Well, you know what else hasn't been done since Babe Ruth? There hasn't been a calendar date that ended where a player had 20 more home runs than the next most in the league since, you guessed it, Babe Ruth in 1923. The last time a player had 20 more home runs than the next best player in the league or the next most in the league was Babe Ruth. And guess who did that this week? Aaron Judge had 20 more home runs than the next best, which was Kyle Schwarber. So to say that he hasn't done anything, that Babe Ruth hasn't done, Shohei Otani is doing stuff that hasn't been done since Babe Ruth, well, guess what? Aaron Judge is also doing what hasn't been done since Babe Ruth. We know that in that era, Babe Ruth was hitting more home runs than entire teams. And now Judge, in a what's a dead-end ball era, he's had 57 home runs. It seems like he should have 60 by the middle of end of next week for sure. We don't know. I don't want to jinx it. Ooh, broadcaster jinx. I don't know if you believe in that. I don't know. Maybe I do. Maybe I don't. I don't know. But... Aaron Judge is doing what hasn't been done. And by the way, he's chasing the Triple Crown, too. He's hitting for higher and higher average as the games go on, which is the craziest part of it because you'd think he's not getting any pitches to hit and he's chasing the home runs. That would generally lend itself to a lower batting average, and yet still he's hitting an even higher average. I think he's nine points away from the American League lead. He's going to run away with the runs lead. He's going to run away with the on-base percentage lead and OPS lead, home run lead, and also the RBI lead. The question is if he could get that Triple Crown. If he gets the Triple Crown, if he ends the season more than 20 home runs better than his next opponent and he has the highest average highest triple crown there's no way there can even be a conversation he's doing something historic and just because there's another guy who like I said is doing something that's more impressive than maybe we've ever seen in baseball and I agree it is Aaron Judge is still the most valuable player because think about where the Yankees would be without with him think about where they'd be without him and if you want to put historical context and historical stats into this also well he's doing something that hasn't been done since Babe Ruth The other point about the Yankees, because I think this is as true a thing I'm going to say on this podcast, 
The Yankees go as far as Glaber Torres takes them. And when Glaber Torres is hitting the ball like this, line drives the other way, that is when the Yankees are at their best. It seems like their entire offense comes alive. And when he's going three for four with line drives the other way and to center and right center field, the Yankees are winning games. It's that simple. If he's doing that in the playoffs, the Yankees have a chance to go to and win the World Series. If he's not, the Yankees don't have a chance. I really think it's that simple. Glaber Torres being back is awesome the last few days. He needs to keep it going, and the team needs to insist that he keeps that approach at the plate. I also saw, and this is going to be, I'll, I'll call this my take of the week. I don't, my father thinks I have the best hot takes. He's like, oh, you love your hot takes. Your hot takes are hilarious. I actually pride myself on not having hot takes, which is the sad part where I'm like, no, this is actually how I feel about things. Um, and he always is like, oh, that's such a great hot take. So it's kind of insulting, but I like it. It's kind of funny also. I get where he's coming from. But I do have um, an interesting, um, I guess it is a hot take. I don't want to say hot, but it's the take of the week. And that's because I saw the Rangers, uh, the New York Rangers were playing uh, or warming up. They're back in the rink. They're getting ready for the hockey season. And, you know, I didn't talk a ton of hockey on this podcast. I talked about Jacob Truba getting named the captain. So definitely I didn't talk about the offseason so much. And I really haven't really talked about the Rangers on this podcast since they got eliminated from the playoffs. Now, if you remember the podcast that I did after they got eliminated from the playoffs, I was sad very sad. I was almost crying. And it's one of those things where it's like, why am I having this emotional reaction to this? I don't know. I can't explain it. Um, and I told you, I tried to explain it, tried to understand why I was having such an emotional, uh, raw, real reaction to the Rangers getting eliminated from the playoffs. But I did. Um, and something interesting that happened then, and I said then, when they went up 2-0 and they were up 2-0 in game three of the conference finals, they're up 2-0 in the series and 2-0 in game three, your expectation changes. And if you would have told me, hey, the Rangers were going to go to the conference finals and come within two games of the Stanley Cup finals last year, of course I would have taken it at the beginning of the year. But the expectation changes, and it feels like the Rangers this year made a lateral move. They're, they lost a bunch of players, including now they just this week lost Tyler Mott to a contract elsewhere. So they lost a couple of players who really helped them down the stretch, and I'm sure they'll make more trades in the middle of the season at the trade deadline. But if the young kids, the kid line, remember them, if they don't continue to take the step that they did in the playoffs if Capo Caco and Lafreniere and Philip Hedel and those young guys even maybe Jones and and Schneider and all those kids don't really and Keandre Miller of course don't really take the next step they maybe have taken a lateral step obviously they add Trocek but they lose Strom all that stuff can Kreider do it again with another 50 goal season probably not so to say that the Rangers expectation is as high as it was uh, at the end of last year is probably not true. They're probably not expected to go back to the conference finals. But let's not talk about what the expectation was at the beginning of last year. At the beginning of last year, you would have been fine. So it's like, oh, well, the Rangers' expectation this year are much higher than they were at the beginning of last year. But you can't really compare the expectation from the beginning of last year to now because circumstances changed. And so the Rangers' season at the end of the day, after everything they went through, was a disappointment because they were up 2-0 and had a 2-0 lead in Game 3 of the Conference Finals. So you can't change your expectations in the moment based on what you thought earlier in the year. So when we talk about the Yankees struggling at this point in the season, or now it seems like they might be on track, but at one point they're on track for 120 wins. When you talk about the Mets battling for first place with the Atlanta Braves, People like to say, well, if you would have told me on April 1st that the Yankees would be a, have a six-game lead in the division this late into the season on, on September 15th, I would have, of course, taken it. If you would have told me that the Mets were battling for first place and have 89 wins this late into the season, of course I would have taken it. But like I said with the Rangers, you can't change your expectations this late into the season based on something that has happened because our expectations already changed. The expectations continue to change. So you can't go back in time and say, oh, 
you would have been fine with this three months ago. Things change. And so with the Rangers back on the ice, I hope people realize the expectations change now. Now it's a different expectation. Last year, yeah, we didn't have super high expectations going into the year, but they came within a couple of games of playing in the Stanley Cup final. They had a lead in a game three up 2-0 with a chance to go to the Stanley Cup final. That changes everything. And now the expectations and the pressure is going to be on the Rangers to perform in this season. All right, when I come back, I'm going to, like I said, preview Monday Night Football. We'll talk about the whole slate of games on Sunday. I'm going to be working again all day Sunday. I do want to give a special shout-out again, if you didn't hear it before, to Dave Levenger, who's been doing my social media and helping out with a bunch of videos. If you're watching this on YouTube now, you already know. Um, just helping me with some production and video production of this podcast. We're going to try and push it out as much as possible and make this podcast even better than it already is. I love it. It's a labor of love for me, and I hope it is the same for him. So shout out Dave Levenger. Um, Like I said, Rami underscore podcast on TikTok and Instagram is the new uh, profiles to check me out on. So do all that. And until next time, I'll talk to you guys. See ya. You were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines. I miss the way that you move and the way I get high When you take me to your eyes Like I'm standing in the sky I see your subway cars and your old graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go Change it all, oh, oh, oh. always on my Birds flying on the highline With sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks on a sold out night When the curtains close And the Broadway streets are alive hey. I need your heartbeat close Don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air When I land in another city And I'll be one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go, oh, oh, oh I change it all, oh, oh Always on my own, oh, oh, I'm still New York You're the only oh, oh, oh That I'll ever know, oh, oh My concrete oh, oh, oh so I'm still New York Yeah, BK born and raised, I was Godsent to hit them courtyard and prospect Take them long walks on my time spin Just a kid with that empire state of mindset Kick flipping off a blind deck Dipping from the New York City's finest Yeah, said I've been up on my New York shit Walking down the block with my New York bitch I can never leave my city, ain't nothing like it Even if I do though, I can never hide it Top down on the west side when I'm driving East side be the only side that I'm riding in
I'm still young. 